Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to gridiron greats football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron greats publishing broadcasting network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live. Southport, North Carolina home. Good Iron Greats Magazine. Bob Slick, publisher and editor of Good Iron Greats Magazine. And I'll be your host for the show. Good Iron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history, memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You'll find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Great Iron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, always, always good to be back. Always good. Best seat in the house, football with Captain. We are back with another show, and we're going to get right into our warm-up before our special guest comes on, and we're going to talk a little bit about the 1954 Bowman football card set of 120 cards. Joe, I'll hand off to you, and we'll take it from there. Uh, yeah, the 1954 Bowman, you and Bob and I are working our way through uh, the sets, uh, having brief discussion before our guests come on. And as we've mentioned before, the uh, 1954 Bowman is uh, the, the, the redheaded stepchild of the Bowman, uh, you know, the Bowman company. Uh, 48 Bowman, black and white, 50 Bowman, beautiful little squares. 51 Bowman, amazing, great color, 52 Bowman, literally the most collected set in, uh, in, the, in, in football. Uh, if you read that, uh, you know, uh, that article I wrote for Gridiron about a year ago, uh, you know, uh, the most popular sets, you'd know the 52 Bowman large is the most collected set. 53 Bowman is one of my favorites. I think just really good looking colors, really good action scenes. And then, 
they took their foot off the gas a little bit to me. Maybe they saw the writing on the wall. Maybe they saw they felt a lot of pressure from tops. But uh, 54 and 55 just kind of became a little more blasé to me. I don't know. Maybe my expectations are really high because of, uh, you know, 51, 52, 53. But, yeah, 54 Bowman. Uh, man, I mean, you can find a PSA card you know, uh, you know, a PSA eight card of it for fifty dollars, but one hundred and twenty-eight cards in the set, one sheet. Uh, you know, pretty basic. Uh, you know, uh, packed, packed full of Hall of Famers. That's one thing it does have, but only one Hall of Fame rookie card. The uh, card number twenty-three, the George Blanda. That's his rookie card. Uh, I like fifty-five Bowman. There just weren't that many rookie cards. Maybe. But rookie cards have just, in the last 15 years, become popular. Before that, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, people were rare rookie cards, but I, I think they've become a lot more coveted lately, rookie cards. So I can remember trading away half of my 1984 top set to a guy for a 1976 O.J. Simpson record breaker card. It wasn't even his rookie card. So, uh, wow. the Blanda, number four. Ouch. Yeah, I remember I carried in my lunch pail with a rubber band around him. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, 128 54 cards. Buck. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I got to say this. Um, the 128 cards, now this, this is my general comment on it. They did boost from 96 cards in the 53 set up to 128 cards. And, again, they went back from the 52s which I believe had 144 cards in them. So they cut way back in 53. 54, they came back a little. And um, I actually, I had a pretty rough time putting this set together way back when, when I did put it together. Because there was just no, not a lot of them out there. I saw more 55 Bowmans out there. And I, as I said in previous shows, I saw more 51s and 52s. 54, for whatever reason, I just I had a rough time uh, finding some of the cards on it, and I and re-looking at the set today, this afternoon before the show, uh, I know I my my set is pretty much a strong VGEX, with the exception of about six cards that need really serious upgrading. But uh, it's interesting, according to my notes, my toughest card that I had difficulty finding was card number seventy-one of Art DiCarlo of the Steelers, and that's oh, one of the cards that needs upgrading. Yeah, I don't know why I had such a tough time, but I got a pretty uh, beater of a card for card 71 there. But uh, anyways, uh, tough set, very difficult for me back then to put it together. Today, obviously, it's easier. And to just make a quick comment, what you were saying about rookies, I think the big key is back then when I was putting this set together, and my bland is not that bad. It's probably BG condition. Um, hmm. Putting that set together People were more concerned putting the set together They weren't concerned yeah. With a rookie or not rookie Or putting their team set together Whereas today the fixation is on a rookie card And, and you know get it in PSA 10 Or whatever type of thing So yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting to see You know the, the variance Between those years going 40 years back Plus and actually I started the set Probably in 1978-79 and uh, going back to the 80s, the glory years, you know, tough to find. You know, really tough to find the, the pieces together. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, quick uh, quick trivia. 
for you. If 1954 is George Blanda's rookie card, what was the last card uh, that you can get in a mainstream set of George Blanda? Um, it's either 75 or 76. My, my, you my are spot on. That's me. why you're the captain, and I'm the co-host. 1970s <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking at it right now. And, man, is he an old man. He looks like my dad <laughs> sitting on that bench. <laughs> Moved on to become a kicker. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's funny you mentioned that card is your toughest one to get. Uh, I, I put this set together in PSA 8 10 years ago, and the toughest one was the John Latner, card number 128. And uh, as okay. everyone knows, I'm an average key collector. Uh, I, you know, from Near Mint Mike's website, the John Latner, uh, these were printed in, numer- in uh, numerical orders. So the John Latner is the lower right uh, card on the sheet. Uh, and always these cards, you know, all the corner cards get beat up. So it went against, you know, the you know, left side went against the rail, the right side, you know, had the cutting edge. So it just got beat up. So would imagine that, the card 64. Oops. That it's interesting. I'm looking at my Latner card, and it's not its not bad. i got a couple of minor creases on it, but it's definitely slightly off-center. It's definitely not a yeah. clean cut one way or the other. So that, that does, you know, again, confirm, and you are the sheet expert. It does confirm where that card laid in the uh, sheet itself. Okay. What was the other card you were saying, 64? Oh, I was going to say 64 would be the... Card 64, Ray Renfro. Yeah, Ray Renfro. It's so funny. We always always end up with a little bit of, uh, you know, um, you know, some of these, you know, we end up with, you know, questions where we're just like, wow, what about, you know, you know, I usually do the show in my office, you know, so I have Mm -hmm. notes and stuff in front of me and I have access to my computer. I don't know how many times I've looked stuff up on, you know, while you and I are talking just because like, you know, sometimes I end up with more questions where it's like, yeah, what is that? How is the sheet laid out? What is George Blanda's last card? I didn't know that. You did. So. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Uh, but, again, I, I really think, um, you know, in today's day and age, it, to, their, to me it's almost uh, a no-brainer. There is really no difficult set to put together if you are looking for a particular condition besides yep. gem mint or graded or whatever the case may be. But if, if you want to put in a base, you know, put together a basic set of 1954 Bowman, it is very doable one way or the other. And to me, the whole run of Bowmans are very doable one way or the other. And we said oh, yeah. that in the past also, you know. Oh, so, yeah. uh, but again, we've been, we've been going step by step with the Bowmans. We've been going step by step looking at it each year. I, I really, you know, I, I always liked the, with the exception of the 48 Bowman set, I always, I've always liked the Bowmans. I, I just think there's something about them that are neat. And I always I always thought to myself, you know, they, they were limited uh, with regards to only being around from 48 to 55. And, uh, you know, it's classic vintage football that you're looking at. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to view. And uh, yep. getting, getting back to another comment about the National, um, I had brought several early Bowmans that I had uh, from inventory, and I had uh, uh, one collector basically bought every one I had to finish his set. Uh, 
And he just said it's so tough to find Bowman's right now, ungraded. You know, he, he seemed like a very basic collector. You know, he was collecting VG-type cards and was more concerned putting the set together. So that's interesting to me. You know, yep. eventually, uh, you know, the set collector will die. But at the same time, uh-huh. I, I, I really believe that, you know, it's, it's really being overlooked to not collect the vintage set or, you know, several vintage sets or a run of Bowman's, let's say, in – ungraded uh in an ungraded manner and just enjoy them you know look at them and and, and view them and, and enjoy the history of them at the same time yeah it's, it's, it, it's, it's something that it's I, like picking your it's like picking your favorite kid where you're like oh, i love the bowman's uh <laughs> yeah there's yeah. a couple i don't like but then it's like yeah i really like you you saying i really like the bowman's i was like yeah so do i and then i'm like man i really dig the 53 set but the 50 set was my favorite to collect. I have all four uncut sheets of that. Um, but then I, immediately my mind wandered. I'm like, but I like that 56 top set. 57 is one of my favorite sets. Man, that 58, you can't go wrong. Boy, don't even get me started on the Fleers. I love the 61 Fleers. And literally in that three seconds, I started running through them all. I made it all the way up to 1970 yep. before I'm like, out of hell with it. I love football cards. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. You know, I mean, I hear you, and again, you know, my my year is sixty, so I I can, I can look at, you know, every day without hesitation and never get bored looking at sixty to sixty nine tops, sixty to sixty three Fleur and sixty four to sixty seven Phillies. To me, they're just classic vintage cards, and you can't you can't go wrong with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 a nice collectible, and again, looking at these Bowman's this afternoon have been uh it's been a nice trip down memory lane for me brought back okay. a lot of memories collecting and and again also showed me how many cards i really need to try to upgrade but uh you know <laughs> i'm I'm not overly concerned overly concerned about that one way or the other because when i was buying these as you well know i uh bought the number i was not overly concerned what kind of grade it was in and uh yep. i never imagined back in the early eighties buying a card and saying, gee, I hope this gets, you know, graded uh, a 10 or whatever, because there was no grading. I, so that was yeah, it. I, was, I was talking to another, you know, hobbyist the other day and I was literally telling them, I'm like, when I traded away my 1984, you know, like 50, 1984 cards for that 76, you know, OJ <laughs> record breaker, that OJ was in bad shape. It wasn't, it was just, I want an OJ card, you know, not, uh, you know, we weren't considered with, we weren't concerned with, uh, you know, quality, et cetera. At what, what point was somebody like, you know, we should really, uh, you know, at what point did centering, uh, you know, corners and stuff like that become very important Was that when, you know, in the advent of grading or were, if, if you go back in your memory where people always like, well, what's the centering look like? How are the corners? Is that where the very good, you know, you know, VG, you know, mint grade stuff like that? Is that where that came along? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it became very prevalent once 1989 hit when score came out and ProSec came out and everybody started, you know, started getting really condition, condition sensitive for all the cards. And I would always try to explain to them, listen, you know, they were not handled uh, with ease back in the 50s and 60s. They were used. You picked them up, you touched them, you read them, you looked at them, you played with them, and that was it. 
You know, you didn't put them away knowing that, you know, 50 years from now, uh, you know, you were going to get them graded and they're going to be worth thousands of dollars. You know, it's a hobby. It's yeah. fun type of thing. So, you yeah. know, the whole market evolved 32 years from basically 1989 to now that everything is conditioned. So fine. What a beat condition. I, I'm not overly concerned with condition, you know. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. All right. Our special guest is here, and I'd like to introduce him to our audience tonight. Our special guest this evening started doing card shows as a dealer back in 1986 when he was only 14 years old. Unlike many of his <laughs> contemporaries, he always had an interest in older cards and so survived the crash of the late 1980s and early 90s material that eliminated many small dealers. He's a recipient of the Dick Henry Scholarship to the RACC Auctioneering Program, where he graduated in May 2017. His current house, auction house is Collector Connection. He is a new sub advertiser to Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'd like to welcome to our show this evening, Mr. Scott Russell. Scott, welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for being yeah, here. Do you hear me? Um, oh, yeah. We can hear you. Okay. Uh, it was nice meeting, you, nice meeting you at the National also, and we were able to Absolutely. talk very briefly. Uh, so I'm going to lead off by asking you, uh, please tell our audience how you got started on being a dealer and auction house owner. Yeah, two, two different stories, as you can imagine. Um, I can remember at about 13 years old, I was at the local card shop, and they had a copy of something called Baseball Card Magazine, which I had never heard of before. And so hmm. I got it, and I flipped it there, and there was a price guide in it. I went, well, these things are worth something besides what the guy at the store says? And uh, <laughs> in there was the Wade Boggs rookie card was selling for $13 or something at the time. And I'm like, I have 20 of those. So I thought I was rich. And you were talking about when condition became important. I brought my 20 Wade Boggs rookies to that card store, and he said, well, yeah, but these are all beat up. And so that's, that's when condition became a thing for me, and a couple short years later was setting up at the mall shows and everything else with my brother, doing card shows as a dealer. Interesting. And when it became that? an auction was I was working, I, I'd say a regular job, but I actually worked in live theater, so that wasn't really all that regular. But uh, – I decided I want to work for myself, and I was going to go back to being a dealer full-time. I had the part-time eBay store like a lot of people do and whatnot. And the owner of a live auction that I attended mentioned that he was looking to retire and maybe sell the business. And in Pennsylvania, you have to be a licensed auctioneer. And I said, well, if you're willing to wait for me to go to school and get my license, I'll buy the business from you. And so kind of took a bit of a turn from my original plan, which was just to be a full-time dealer, and became an auctioneer instead. Wow. What? First of all, Scott, thanks for being on the show. This is Joe. Oh, thanks, um, Joe. Uh, what year was that, that you went to a dealer with your Wade Boggs and said, uh, you know, hey. You know, it would have been like 1985. It was about a year before we started actually dealing ourselves. Then. Okay. Uh, that's pretty funny because I have a very fond memory of buying a Beckett. And then at one point, literally laying in my stomach in my room with a piece of paper, running through the cards, going, "Oh my gosh, that's worth this." That's worth oh that. yeah, yeah, you were rich. It, like, you, go, yeah, you thought I that that book was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I never really went to a store and went, uh, you know, here's, where's my 200 bucks? You know, yeah, here's uh, my card. Where's I, my money? That, the book says so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Uh, well, that's cool. I always love hearing how people started. And, I mean, and uh, so that that auction house you bought or took over, what was the mm-hmm. name of that? Is that is, that is was that... called Birmingham Auctioneers. That was the name of the owner. And it was live-only auctions in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I continued to do live auctions for a while, but we also added online. We kept the two completely separate, but we did both styles. And then when the pandemic hit, it forced us completely online and also kind of drove home the point that as a business model, it's a much better business. Got it. Well, so I do, I do miss actually getting up and bid calling though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really got back into the hobby when eBay was a thing. So I, 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 it makes me laugh here. People talking about where you faxed in your bids or you called in and bumped it up. Even mail order bids. That's kind of cool, but hey, I wanted to personally thank you for helping me register for your auction. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was user error with my zip code bogging down, but <laughs> thank you. If that's you're, uh, you're not unique, don't feel bad. Uh, well, if, if you personally helping me register for the auction is any, any indication of the customer service that you uh, that you give at Collectors Connection, I you know I'm, I'm sure you'll be incredibly successful. Just uh, thank you for personally registering me. Um, oh, sure, and uh, and yeah, basically, if somebody has a problem, they wind up getting me on the phone. So, uh, right on. That that was just really cool. I really appreciated it because um, I'm, I, like I said, I'm pretty sure it was you know user error. But uh, I went back and looked at uh, the previous auction you had. Um, it looked really good. You had some good stuff. Uh, I mean, uh, you you know, you mentioned your future auctions not yet posted, but uh, you know. I'm I'm asking this for our listeners, but uh, most sure. of them are going to be ask if there's any Steve Largent cards in there, and uh, if you could talk about Largent <laughs> cards in your next coming auction, and or any other you know football cards of note that would be coming up. Well, we actually had an, an auction start last night. Um, that's in what we call live preview, which means we're still updating, adding images, uh, tweaking descriptions, fixing typos, that kind of thing. Uh, we do that on right. Monday, and then it runs for two weeks as a you know completed listing. Uh, but there is a live auction up right now, and there's you know a lot of it has pictures, but there's a lot to go yet. Um, so for the football guys, we have a nice little run of Joe Montana rookies and everything from like six through eight. Um, but then tons of raw cards. Uh, actually, I'm looking at a raw lot right now. It's an 81 Kellen Winslow, 86 Steve Young, 86 Bruce Smith, and some guy named Largent from 77, it looks like. So that might be yeah. a rookie. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I, this is uh, one of our general post-war auctions, uh, not a real football theme to it. So there's not a ton of football in this one. Uh, the big one coming up is our next auction, which has a, a heavy football theme and has some real interesting heavy-hitting type stuff. Right. Because, I mean, that. You know, this is gridiron greats. I mean, the the idea right. here is to give you the GG. Yeah, sorry, the other story was a Wade Boggs story. I could have changed it, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> to protect the innocent, that's okay. Uh, we're 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 slightly aware of that uh, that game with a round white ball and a, and a stick. That stick, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, outstanding. Any large or any auction with a large card, you know, just brings it into that next stratosphere of excellence. <laughs> so, well done. 
<laughs> very cool. Very cool. And is that you, – you said it was kind of a double-secret probation, you know, viewing right now. Is that available on your website, or is that – Yeah, yep. it's go, just the collectorconnection.com. And like I said, it just kicked off at 10 o'clock last night. So you'll okay. find a lot of holes in it still, but there's a lot of stuff already ready to go. And you can bid now. Very well, you could, we could probably have an entire podcast on how hard it is to upload stuff to a, you know, to an auction site and just the beta testing that goes on it and just, you know, hitting send where it's like, okay, this is live. And then discovering, <laughs> you know, you know, misspellings, typos, et cetera. And, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, we spell check because we do it via a database and we spell check the database before we send it and still find mistakes. You know, it drives you crazy. Oh man. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it, yeah, just a, a whole nother level of, you know, making that public because you've seen threads on, uh, you know, vintage football where it's just like, you know, hey, this card is trimmed, you know, hey, this, it's just, it's interesting. It's once you put it out oh, there yeah. to our, to our very finicky, you know, football card collecting public, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And that actually reminds me of kind of a good thing, you know, an important thing to say about us too, you want to talk about customer service. We have a great ability guarantee if you buy a raw card from us, we guarantee it is capable of receiving a number grade regardless of whether uh, – let me get that straight. It will get a number grade, and unless we say in the listing it is trimmed, it is colored, it is blah, blah, blah. So if you buy a raw card from us, you can rest assured that we think it's capable of getting a grade unless we say it. Hmm. Okay, so and uh, if, yeah, that process you actually submit the card through us because obviously we can't you know, mail the card to you and then you know you tell me six months later that you know it didn't grade. Um, we actually take care of the submission process and everything, but you even get your grading fees back if we fail because we feel it's our job to be right. Interesting. That's, okay, that's, so if you if you in the description say this is a mint or you know near mint, uh, we don't guarantee the number. Oh God! Gotcha. I'm not promising okay. you a seven. I'm just promising you that nothing we sell has been altered. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, that. yeah. No, that is yeah. I, I have guts, and I'm pretty good at grading. But I don't know if I have that much guts. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. And it, and if it was true, then you know you'd send it off. No, totally. Yeah, it's good to have because again, again, uh, you know, a lot of unfortunately in the hobby over the years, so there's a lot of trim cards are being sold. Uh, oh, sure. and, and, and innocently a lot of times. You know, it's not always something yeah. nefarious. Yeah, yeah. good point. Yeah. But you know, like I said, we feel it's our job to be the expert in the room, and if we blow it, you shouldn't have to pay for it. That's really cool. How many other auction houses do that, just kind of put the put the guarantee there? You know, or there, have there's not a ton people. of auction houses out there selling it all, period. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Or even just, That's very true. just to have their time to put their eye on every card. That means you're going through every card and every auction. With a and then either my brother or myself doing all the grading at this point. So Interesting. Good for you. It's good. That's awesome. That's good. Scott, I'm curious. What, are, in your opinion, has been the uh, top five football items you've handled over the years or auctioned off since you've gone into business or prior to that? 
I was thinking about that. There's, there's always two different approaches. There's like, well, what's the most expensive thing you've sold, which is what a lot of people want to know. But uh, I'm more interested in the stuff that I found interesting because, you know, obviously I see a lot of stuff. And so I kind of went with the five most interesting things we've had. Oh, cool. Um, we had the, the Dixie Lid Bronco Nagurski in an eight and a half. Oh, my God. And, wow. Yeah, well, it was not a cheap item, but it's not a, a bank breaker by any stretch of the imagination. But what blew my mind was it's probably the only Dixie Lid I've ever seen where the tab hadn't been folded. The little tab to lift it out of the ice cream cup didn't yep, have wow. that crease like they all have. Um, and and no ice cream staining on the back. I, I almost think that somebody found an unused lid somewhere because it was the cleanest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, wow. Then that's really, that's now we have really a funny one for card number for item number two. We have a we had a Cliff Branch autograph. You know, that's not that big a deal, but what it was was kind of hilarious. It was a letter from Cliff Branch to an autograph seeker explaining why he didn't sign autographs through the mail without a donation to charity. Signed by Cliff Branch. Signed by Cliff Branch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and authenticated. So he wrote a letter to a guy telling him why he wouldn't sign his autograph for him and uh, signed the letter. Oh, my God. So well, that, that's one of my all-time favorite just because it's hilarious. That is uh, um, the irony of that. It's funny. Yeah. And then we had that's great. Uh, one of my <laughs> personal favorite. I'm a giant fan. So it's oddly a personal favorite because it's a giant getting destroyed. And if I say that, you probably know what I'm talking about right away. We had a, a wire photo of Bednarik standing over Gifford after he knocked him in the next week. Um, yep. And it wasn't the iconic photo that everybody's kind of familiar with. It was a different angle and a different shot. Um, but it was a type one okay. press photo of that hit. Oh, man. Wow. And that's, so that was that was number three. Number four was we have the Colts program from 1956 from Johnny Unitas's first start. And again, oh, these wow. aren't big dollar items, but it's cool as all get out. That's unique. That's very unique. And then I couldn't resist, and I went for a big dollar item for number five. We had the most stunning Walter Payton rookie I've ever seen. It graded a nine, and it's hard to grouse about a nine. But I had a lot of very knowledgeable people look at it and go, how on earth is that not a 10? Uh, but even as a 9, it did very well for us. That's really cool. How long well, ago was that, Auger? With, with, uh, with the, uh, the Peyton was, I, I want to say, about a year and a half ago now. Oh, really cool. How long ago yeah. did you start Collector's Connection? Uh, well, I bought the company in 2000, January 1, 2018. Okay. And we changed the name, I guess, about two years ago. Okay, right on. Congratulations. That's very cool. So it's our, our fifth year doing it. So step earlier, stepping back earlier, I was like, uh, step it must up. be tough to load. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you... Just one, one, oh. uh, one comment I want to make on the Unitas program. Uh, I still believe very strongly a lot of programs paper materials way overlooked in the hobby especially in football uh, yeah I, I say more so, in baseball it started to catch up in football it's still massively overlooked media guides programs uh, any type of paper material whatsoever in football is to me so undervalued right now it's not even funny so here's a classic example somebody buys a Colts program for 1956 have no clue really of historical 
teams or anything mm-hmm. like that or who, who's playing where. So you open up and you start reading the program and you see, you know, John Unitas in it. And you're saying yep. to yourself, holy mackerel, is this, is this really Unitas type of thing? And uh, yeah. then they realize they have some, something of value and something historical at the same time. And uh, yeah, I, well, I just, The punch line on that particular item for us was the consigner didn't know it. We actually oh, found it out because yeah, we, we, we check dates on everything we do. And we discovered that for I them. Believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's, so you just it's, it's, he knew it was a rookie really, year program, but he didn't realize it was actually the first start. First, first start. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me, and it's the same thing with ticket stubs. And the one thing I found oh, yeah. interesting again, making a uh, reference to the this last national, I had a lot of people ask me. Um, they were looking more for Super Bowl ticket stubs and playoff ticket stubs, big bowl game ticket stubs, so on and so forth. It seems like overnight the uh, ticket stub area of the hobby is starting to really catch on, you know, catch on fire. And again, a lot of it has to do with, and I like, I had several conversations with these guys coming up and asking me, you know, the elimination of a ticket stub, everything's got to be on your phone now to get in to a game yeah. is really, really wreaking havoc with that entire, within that entire um, segment of the hobby. So yeah, I mean, some of the smarter teams have come up with optional ways to get a stub, but yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's to me, it's just really changed the whole aspect of that uh, area of the hobby collecting. And uh, again, I'm saying to myself, I I saved and bought and sold ticket stubs for over 50 years now, and uh, to me, it's just incredible to see where they're actually being appreciated because now in a way it's too late because you're not seeing them for the past three, four years. So, but anyways, I I wanted to make a comment on that uh, coach program. And again, you know, it's an overlooked area is game programs and the historical value and the historical games that were played with them, so on and so forth. Truly amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, even pointing out to the audience, and this was a few years ago now, it would do much better today. But even pointing out to our, our buyers what it was, it still only went for, I think, $60 or so. Ooh, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. You know, that, yeah. that market has definitely changed, you know, since we sold it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. that's a tough one because you've got, you, you, you know, you, you have to be a program collector. You have to be, right. you know, okay with vintage. I mean, I, I collect programs and ticket stubs of, you know, you know, things I'm interested in, you know, that's fascinating to me. I love that. That's, you know, Unitas' first game. I probably wouldn't take a stab at it because it doesn't fit my, my collecting, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about how, you know, how anxious it must make you to hit send on that auction, you know, to, up, to upload it. And, uh, you know, uh, that that is just fascinating. Just you know how much work goes into the descriptions, into the photos, making sure they match. Uh, yeah, and then the shipping when we're all done. <laughs> oh man, this is a small army of stuff. Man, it, literally, we could do a show on just how hard that is. That's fascinating. Um, I, you uh, know, having come from the live auction background, I can tell you it takes about five times as much man hours to do online as opposed to live. Oh really? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Because live, huh. we show up, and the stuff's all there. Everybody looks at it, and we sell it. 
Got it. You know, there's no photography. There's no description writing. There's no shipping. There's yeah. No... <laughs> yeah. How do you uh, how do you find your auction items? I mean, you you know, on the one hand, we just talked about what happens behind the scenes to make the auction happen, but then there's the the you know, all of that ar- army of effort to find the auction items, the amazing stuff for your auction. How do you do that? I, there's a couple of different ways. Um, you know, obviously, just you know, advertising and being out there. I, I do the national in Chantilly and Philly, and then some other. I do a non-sport show, and I also do a comic book show. Um, so obviously, you know, just being out and about stuff comes in. We got some neat consignments at the uh, the national this year. Um, well, word of mouth from other consigners. Whenever I, I have a good experience with a consigner, I make sure that they know to, you know, tell their friends and all that good stuff. Um, and then a lot of it, you know, I do get a lot of referrals. I've, I've been in the hobby a long time, and so a buddy of mine will hear about something and know the guy who wants to sell, and he'll send them to me. And, you know. So a lot of it is just having been around and knowing people. Yeah. Um, but we also do, we set up consignment pickup trips. I, I, in the last year and a half or so, I've gone out to the Midwest three times and plotted routes and made multiple stops along the way. My last stop, I actually started at Dallas, then went north to Chicago, then east through Indiana and Ohio down to West Virginia and then home when there was 14 stops on that trip. And so I publicized the trip. And then people schedule themselves if they're on the route. And my first stop on that trip was actually Dr. James Beckett. Oh, wow. wow no kidding. Yep. He, he, he actually confined with us. It was very exciting. And we actually, I, I got a little bit of <laughs> extra from him. I got the first issue of Beckett Magazine signed by him while I was there. <laughs> That's really cool. How did, all right, what did he consign? I, I got it. He seems like a Not really supposed to go talking about that kind of thing, but uh, let's put it this way. It was not, you know, it, it's just stop. It, it's not, you know, anything earth shattering or exciting. It's just like we all do. There's just excess stuff in the collection and he's been a customer for a while. So that's outstanding. Boy, are you allowed to put that's the, the provenance of, of, a, of an item in an auction where like this came from the personal collection? I, 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 the only thing we did that on was the, the autograph. We had two copies of Beckett Magazine autograph, issue one and issue two. So those are the only ones we, we talked about it because it's, it's really, you know, I, I don't know. It just, I would just feel odd doing it. First of all, you'd have to have his permission to do it. Um, you know, you wouldn't wow. want to go telling about it. And it's like he didn't want anybody to know. Um, and I don't know that, but you wouldn't do it without permission. So no, the items are just listed as regular items. No, that's interesting. All right. I used to, I used to, I used to take a little ad out in the uh, football uh, big book, and one year I would, I would always get a copy of it, um, you know, sent to me. And I think it was the right. ten or whatever. I got, I got it, and it was signed by him. And I was shocked when I opened up the book, and it said Dr. It had written Dr. James Beckett. So I still have that one. And that's pretty neat. Oh, that's Just cool. to see him, uh, see him uh, have his signature on it, so on and so forth. He's got to be up there in the years, I would say, right? Yeah, but my, he's in phenomenal condition. <laughs> I was joking with somebody, but I think he beat me at tennis right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, cool. That's neat. That's really neat. 
Yeah, it was definitely one, a highlight for us. You know, it's like I mean, I've, I've talked with him a number of times, but to actually get to you know shake his hand and meet him and have him sign those was, was really cool. Because if you're of a certain That's age, awesome. he was the hobby. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I want to I want to back up one uh, one question if I can. You said you had some major stuff in an upcoming football uh, or an upcoming uh, auction you're having. Uh, can you mention any of that? Imp- any of that stuff? I, I would. Uh, I would love to. <laughs> okay. Um, especially since I, you know, I, there's I think a rumor I going around that there's a Grange collector in the room too. <laughs> uh, no. We have the Shotwell Grange complete set, and it's not the blank back version; it's the add back oh, version my. complete. Um, all SGC graded, and we're selling it as a set. We're not breaking it. Incredible! That's a yeah, very wow. rare. Uh, graded as a set. That's incredible. Great. Yeah, we've only been able to find one other that's sold at auction, and it's been a number of years since one has come up. Yep. Um, Then we also have a couple of 1912 Olympuska Spellin postcards with Jim Thorpe on them. So he's not in football because he's actually, you know, at the Olympics, but uh, it still definitely appeals to the football collectors. There's Those one, the rare. famous one of him standing on the stairs in his uniform, but we also yeah. have the 1500 meter from the pentathlon, and uh, that one actually graded a six and a half, which is the highest graded ever on that postcard by either PSA or SGC by quite a bit. The next highest is a PSA five, and ours is an SGC six and a half. Outstanding. That's those well, are great. I love those postcards. And then the the last of uh, the real biggies is we have. A 1907 Pop Warner cabinet photo. Uh, it was actually from the collection of a guy who assistant coached with him at the Carlisle Indian School for one year. That's how they know how to date it to 1907. Uh, and the guy was on his staff for one season. And it came from wow. his estate originally. So uh, they go kind of neat to tie in with, you know, the Thorpe connection and everything else. But, you know, a 1907 football item isn't something you find all the time. Just incredible. That's great. And then, you know, we have a nice run of sets. We have a 51 Bowman and uh, some sport. We have all three of the big football sport kings. And there's a lot of great stuff. But those three are, are what I would consider special. Well, the Shotwells beyond rare as far as I'm concerned, especially for an ad back. Yeah. And again, you know, I mean, they are, they are rare, rare. It's amazing. Amazing yeah. that you got a complete set of them. So yeah. and I it know was a funny situation. It was a guy I actually helped. He, his family found them. It was, there was a collector in the family who had passed and they were going through stuff. And I kind of walked him. He wanted to get them graded. Um, normally if people submit stuff to us raw that needs to be graded, we take care of it. But he wanted to do it. So I kind of walked him through the process not realizing that he was actually looking to confine it. He just kind of called and was asking for help. And then when the time came, he's like, well, you helped me out. So there you are. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, we talked about that briefly at the National, and I, and I, was, I was curious about it, and I was like, wow, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime uh, once type of uh, auction to come up. To see it as a yeah, and I mean, time. really, the fronts of them are, 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 generally speaking, super nice. So it presents well, even though obviously it's not a particularly high grade set. 
you know, the backs are rough, which is pretty common with those. Who cares? Yeah, uh, an yeah. SGC. Yeah, and, and like I said, the front, you know, the, you're going to think you're looking at X cards looking at the fronts of most of them. Yes, without a doubt. It's always, it's usually the back. It's that, that's a great set. That's one of my favorite sets. It's, uh, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> that and the 1912 postcards, those, those, those are great consignments. Yeah, yeah, no, that was very exciting. Hmm. And like I said, that, this, at this Shotwell, Grange set is, you know, the phrase gets used a lot, but it really is new to the hobby. I mean, it was sitting in an attic two years ago. Uh, and that is in your upcoming auction? That, that Those are all coming that, up? That's the one that starts on September 14th. Um, I got and registered big just in time, off didn't I? <laughs> when's, when's that open up? Um, uh, it's for viewing right now, I think you said. No, no, this is a different off. We have one auction before that one. So the one that, the one that's running right now is not the one that's in. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Then so the, uh, it's our next auction after this one that starts on September 14th. Okay, great. Well, is that, is, is, that, is that your pattern? Do you do one a month or how do you? I, it's, it's not exactly one a month, but it works out to, you know, there are 12 a year. Um, there's usually 10 days between them, and they usually run 18 days. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions, but it does ultimately work out to 12 a year. Okay. Okay, Perfect. very cool. And we got one more question for you, Scott. Um, sure. Do you have any advice for beginning collectors? Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that because actually I just posted to our website today hype doesn't hold value. And I think that's the best advice I can give a collector. Um, you know, don't go for what some influencer says is hot. Uh, don't do something because you think everybody else is doing it. Do something because you love it. The money will follow. If you're, you know, if, if the money is important to you, collect something good that you want to keep for a while. The money will follow. Don't chase trends. Don't believe YouTube. Uh, find something that resonates with you. If it resonates with you, it will resonate with somebody else. Well, I still maintain I should have bought plastic stocks about 10 years ago. Because <laughs> I, I would be sitting pretty right now. Because I, at the National, I, have, I, I was just shocked. I mean, it was in total shock seeing teenage kids with these little yeah. briefcases that have all their graded cards in it, and they would initially, I, I, there must have been about 50 kids that came the first three days. Are you buying anything? Are you buying anything? And Josh had to, you know, look at the stuff, and uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was pleasant. You know, you know, it wasn't like you know some dealers. No, I'm not buying anything. Blah blah blah. But uh, I, right. I'm just saying, I, I, I just can't believe. How that war- that really warped into that over the past four years or so It's just crazy seeing them. Yeah. And you know the the guys with the overstuffed uh, the overstuffed backpacks trying to walk around with their cases at the same time, pulling out oh, everything yeah. and and trying to sell, trying to sell it one way or the other. Uh, it was just it was tiring to watch after a while. And uh, <laughs> again, as I I said to a lot of people, I never saw so many hundred dollar bills in my life. Uh, in a, in a concentrated area by young people, it was just really yeah. mind-boggling to me. Really mind-boggling. Now, but the big question is, you know, where are they in five years? 
<laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I, I basically. What do you mean? What do you mean? Will, they, will they stay in the hobby, Scott? Is that what you mean? Will they stay in the hobby? Will the stuff that they made all the money on stay worth all the money? Um, you know, kind of back to the whole don't chase the hype thing. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, I, I always joke, it's like the the, Calif- the the Florida real estate bust a few years back where everybody was buying condos and flipping it to the next person who was flipping it to the next person who was flipping it to the next person. But ultimately, somebody has to want to live there. Yeah. And right, if you right, and if it gets right. beyond the price of the person who needs to live there, then it has to correct. And I, that's how I right. feel about a lot of the hype cards right now is they're just being flipped among people who are making money. There's got to be a guy at the end of the line who wants to own the card. Yeah, right. right and that's right. what I wonder exactly. about with the hot and the trendy. Yeah, that's good point. Not it's what I worry point. about when it comes to you know, fifty-one Bowman. Uh, somebody I mean, once it's, told it's me crazy. that uh, over half of all bidding and auctions is for other dealers who are buying kind of low-hanging fruit, you know, to put in their auction or to flip or something like that. Is, is, is that is that true in most auctions? And is that is that true I, I don't auctions? know what percentage it is, but I know I, I view my dealer customers as the safety net. You know, they they keep stuff from going too low. Because if it goes too low, they're going to jump on it because they think they can turn around and make a profit on it. I, I always joke, yeah. you know, I love my dealers. I just hope I don't ever sell to them. Ah. You know, because I want the collectors winning because they're, you know, I want to sell to the guy the dealer thinks he can sell it to. So, but like I said, they're, yeah, I they're a great safety net. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of well-known dealers who buy from us and, you know, they, they absolutely help the bottom line. So. That's cool. I, I that, that's that's and I love that. That's a great way to put it. I love my dealer, you know, customers. I just hope I never sell them. That's a great way to put it. That's funny. Oh, so, yeah, good. Yeah, very good. It's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Scott, do you have any other uh, any closing uh, thoughts or any other comments or any other? Uh, no, just a, I guess a little plug. Office? If you do have something you want to consign or you want to talk to us about your items, you know, if you just need help figuring out what to do with them, uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be for consignment. Just go to thecollectorconnection.com or give us a call, 717-327-8915, and nine times out of ten, I'm the guy who's picking up. Great. That's awesome. and Just Sounds for our good. listeners, I, I touched on it earlier, but amazing customer service. I was having a hard time creating an account, and Scott stepped in personally, created my account, and just sent all that to do was update my password. I just, I, you know, you know, that that's uh, that's very rare in this industry. So I tip my hat to you, Scott. No, I appreciate it. I, you know, one of the things we thought of when we started the online version of the business was, let's correct all the things that bother me about bidding online. So yeah. hopefully we're doing yeah. a decent job of that. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. That's, you know, I, I always say that what bothers you the most, you should not have it in your, in your business at all, no matter what the business is. Yeah. And the, that's, yep, a, that's a good point. Real good point. Good point. Well, Scott, thank you for being on today. Um, Thanks for having me. Educational for us. And I can't wait to see that uh, Shatwell ad back uh, and where it ends up at. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, we're excited to have it. So. Totally. Great. Great. Chad Russell of Collector Connection. Thanks for being on. Thanks again.
All right, Joe, we're, uh, we've got a few extra minutes today, but we're going to, uh, I want to touch base on a couple of things. Uh, first, plug for the magazine, gridirongratesmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? Gridirongratesmagazine.com. Check out our website. I want to go back, uh, like I said, we've got a couple of minutes here extra, and just briefly talk about that episode at the National that we looked at with regards to uh, you know, the cases and, and stuff like that. So that brought up a good point, and it's something that it's always I, I mentioned during the show to a few people that I was talking to. What happens if this whole bubble pops with graded cards? What happens if that PSA 10 that you paid $2,000 for is now only worth $200? What happens to the hobby? Does the hobby absorb it? Does the hobby? What does the hobby do to respond to it? And I think it's a legitimate question. I really do. But, so, I, I, you know, again, I you, you, get, you get all the hype in the world there with uh, mm-hmm. you know, these influencers and, and the YouTubers and everything else. <laughs> and and it, just, it just got tiring after a while listening and, and hearing it type of thing. Yeah. But the real question yeah. is, what happens, what happens when that card is worth 10% of what you paid for it? Your your thoughts on that? Uh, let's see the ultimate hot potato. I mean, in all honesty, I, I heard you talking about it, uh, and I just heard Scott talking about it. I, it, it seems like it's a, a game of hot potato. Who's going to get left with it? I mean, everything in my collection is stuff I love. Uh, I, you know, regardless of the of the value of it. I mean, I I, I want to collect stuff that doesn't lose value. I mean, you know, sentimentality only gets you so far, but you know, hearing kids, you know, hearing your stories about kids walking into the national with briefcases practically, you know, walking up and, you know, I want 10,000 cash for this. And if you said no, then moving on to the next table, AKA, you know, you know, sucker wannabe. Uh, it's, it's weird. I hope our hobby isn't becoming that. I, I, I don't know, but like I said, it seems like a game of hot potato. Who's going to get stuck with this, you know, and Scott brought up a point I've never heard before. You know, this this yep. is only good as long as at the end there's someone who wants the card who's willing to pay what the dealer is going to buy for it is. And I go I go back to something a longtime collector used to tell me way back when in the 80s, and he said you only need one person to buy what you're selling. You don't need to worry about having 10, 15, 20 people buy it. You just need that one person who wants the item. And let them buy it, and that's it. And that made a lot yeah. of sense to me back then, and it makes a lot of sense to me now. But if there's, let's say, a hundred, um, uh, let's just say, um, LeBron James PSA 10 cards of the same brand, how is that really rare, and how is that really worth that much money? That's what I don't understand. I don't get it, because he's hot because he, you know, so on and so forth. So I have to pay $2,000 for that card. But what happens down the road if 99 people don't want the card anymore? What happens to the value of the card? Where does it go? You know, that's the problem. So I, I, I'm concerned. I'm very concerned with it. So, yeah, I don't know. I agree. And I, 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 I think just recently we're starting to hear a little more about these bubbles, you know, about the – the, the, the kids who are flipping cars 
you know, cards like you were mentioning, and or I mean, you know, like I said, just what Scott just said. I'd, I'd you know, never thought about it that way until he just mentioned that there has to be an end user for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. and there's always there's people coming, and we've been doing this a long time, Bob. There's always people coming and going from the hobby. All of us, you know, the majority of us collectors, found our way back to the hobby the same way. Uh, we collected as a kid, we went away from it, and we came back to it. Um, there's a, yeah. A, yeah. millions of other people out there who followed the same path who hopefully someday will find their way back to the hobby. Um, right. will, will they collect the same stuff we do? Will, you know, large in cards, et cetera, or will they find something else? I mean, who knows? Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to go into our two-minute warning. I'm going to hand off to you. What would you pick up on tonight's show? Uh, great guest. Very knowledgeable. It's a, you know, we, I'm in the hobby. Uh, you know, people like Scott are in the business. I mean, and the difference is is, is pretty cool. It's it just hearing somebody talking about how to put together an auction. And I've, uh, I'll admit, I've, you know, that was, you know, I, Al Chris Afoli at Love of the Game, he and I have talked about what it takes to get a catalog out. And it's just right, the right, amount right. of headache that goes with that. So you take a catalog plus an auction plus being out there trying to put consignments together. It reminds me of, like, the difference between a college football coach and a pro coach. I mean, the college coach has to recruit players and pander to parents to try and get, you know, young kids to play in his team. The NFL coach is like, you know, the general manager hires and fires people. It's, it's, man, it's a lot of work. That, that, that's got to be a tough grind. And it's got to be really tough to see amazing auction items get consigned and go, man, I would love that in my collection. But that's your job is to sell them, you know. Exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. Well, I, I got to I got to compliment Scott. He is very customer orientated and, um, he is doing a very good job with his, his auctions. I've talked to several people who are very pleased with, uh, consigning with them and, uh, the results they got from it. So I wish him well in the future. Uh, nice guy to talk to. Like I said, I got to talk to him briefly two times at the national. It was uh, very interesting. Mm. I can't wait to see that shot. That shot will add back go up and where he ends up at in the, in the, his next auction. Well, we're it's a lot of work to put that entire set together. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. Um, yeah. that's about all I got. About all I got, Joe, 10 seconds, final thoughts, if anything. Uh, great show, great guest, as always, Captain. It's great being your sidekick, uh, talking football with, you know, with, with, you know, with, with Bob Swick. It's, uh, you know, best seat in the house. And it's always enjoyable to talk to you, Joe, about football. And uh, I, again, have always said that football, 365, 24-7. And everybody knows what that that means. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll be back next week with another show. Take care.